In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of Hatur, and as we mentioned last week, the church arranges for the reading of the parable of the sower two weeks consecutively. So last week we read the parable of the sower, and this week as well we're reading um, the same parable, um, this time from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And so the, the focus um, of our talk about this parable has to do with the pitfalls of the spiritual life. Um, the, the parable of the sower speaks about different ways that the people who receive the word of God, different ways that people respond to it. What is it that we do with the seed that we have been given? That the sower who is God sows the word in the, in the earth, sows the word in all of our hearts so that we all receive the message. How is it we respond is, uh, is, is what is the subject of the parable. And um, in the parable specifically, it speaks about a few different ways that maybe people respond, but we expanded on that as well, and we spoke about other pitfalls. So we spoke about the five pitfalls last week, and we, God willing, we will speak about five more this week. Just to give a review of what we spoke about last week, um, the five pitfalls of the spiritual life that we mentioned. The first is that the word is not planted, which is the seed that fell along the wayside where the birds, the birds came and ate it up before it took root. Um, the second is that the, the seed lands on the soil, but it does not take root. <clears throat> the third is the word lands and is choked by the worldly desires. The fourth is what we call the slow fade, which is gradually um, moving away and going astray from God over time. And then the fifth was mistaking um, knowledge for faith. So those are the five that we mentioned last time. Um, this week we will continue and mention uh, another five. So the sixth pitfall we will mention about how is it that maybe in someone's spiritual life that they are gradually going away from God or maybe <coughs> they are suffering from kind of spiritual disease um, is, is lukewarmness. Um, in the book of Revelation chapter 4, God speaks about what lukewarmness is and how he sees it. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Maybe it's easy for us to see why God would want someone to be hot, meaning someone who is uh, on fire, someone who is fervent, someone who is passionate, someone who is zealous, someone who is obedient and submissive, who obeys the commandments, who desires God, who is active in their spiritual life. Maybe we can understand easily why this would be something that God would want. Why is it though that he would prefer someone to be cold rather than to be lukewarm? And the reason is, is that the person who is lukewarm does not realize that they have a problem. Maybe the person who is cold, maybe one of us who um, goes astray from God, who is living in a life of sin, maybe our conscience is, is pricking us, it is convicting us, the Holy Spirit is telling us, return, go back, you're doing something wrong, there's something in your life that needs to change. And maybe even if we ignore these, this voice, if we ignore these messages that we are receiving from God, and yet the messages continue to kind of um, prick us until maybe at some point we give in to them and we, we, we respond and we repent and come back to God. But the person who is lukewarm is someone who feels very satisfied living in between two worlds. Part of their world is um, the life in the church, the spiritual life, uh, the life of service, the kinds of things we talk about in, in the church. This is part of their life. But just as much as a part of their life is 
the things that are done in a worldly way outside the church, maybe uh, sinful activities that are done, sinful relationships, and they feel completely comfortable with these two things kind of combined together, living together. And so they don't feel a conviction that they need to change. They don't feel like they need to uh, pay any attention to this problem in their life, nor do they see it as a problem at all. They tend to be people pleasers. Whoever, whatever group that they're with, they're like chameleons. Whatever group that they're with, they camouflage themselves to be acceptable to that group. If they're in the church, then they look like the church people. If they're in the world, they look like the worldly people. They Maybe they, they pray and they go to church and they serve. They're not completely away from God, but by no means are they completely for God. They are trying to straddle these two different worlds. And so in the eyes of God, this is lukewarmness. And this is worse than being cold. Because again, if I'm cold, I can be convicted. Maybe um, some of us fall into this. Maybe we start passionate and zealous and hot. Um, but over time, we begin to fade. Over time, we begin to lose that initial passion um, that we have, and we fall into this pattern of lukewarmness. It is easier maybe for some people to live this way than it is to really look at their lives, to examine themselves, to say, what is the sin that I need to address and change? So this is the sixth pitfall of the spiritual life. The seventh pitfall that we'll speak about is pride. This is because as people grow in the faith, and they do get closer to God and they begin to maybe um, do things um, that are good and righteous um, before God and before others, that they begin to receive praise or they begin to compare themselves to other people. And, and when they see that they've maybe gotten further along in the spiritual life than others, that they see that maybe they pray more than others, they fast more diligently they, uh, than others, they repent more than others, they, they serve more than others, they have greater knowledge than others, that these things begin to make them feel about themselves that they are righteous and they are good. This is actually one of the major temptations of monastics. Because monastics have already chosen to leave the world behind. What are the kinds of temptations that can come upon them when they have no access to media, they have no access to people, they have no access to the world? So what is the one of the greatest temptations that have come upon a person who is a monastic is the temptation of pride. Because maybe they think to themselves, look, I have left everything. I have left the world. I am righteous. There's a story about Abba Arsenios that goes like this. It says, one day Abba Arsenios consulted an old Egyptian monk about his own thoughts. Someone noticed this and said to him, Abba Arsenios, how is it that you, with such a good Latin and Greek education, ask this peasant about your thoughts? He replied, I have indeed been taught Latin and Greek, but I do not even know even the alphabet of this peasant. Meaning, Amba Arsenius looked at his own accomplishments, looked at his own knowledge, and he evaluated it in the right way. Maybe the world praises such knowledge and the world praises such advancement, but in the eyes of Amba Arsenius, this simple peasant that we were speaking about was higher in rank than him, higher in his spirituality. And we see this, maybe people who are very simple, people who have uh, not very high education at all, but their spirituality is maybe stronger, their faith is maybe stronger even than us. And so we should not be filled with pride. There is no amount of accomplishment we can make that make us look at ourselves and think, I am a righteous person. 
the in the in the story in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Christ spoke that there was this man who was a Pharisee who was standing to pray and along with him was also a tax collector who was standing to pray the Pharisee focused in his prayer all about how he is so thankful that he is a righteous person how he's so thankful that he fasts and that he prays and he does all the commandments whereas the tax collector he felt I'm a wicked man I am not even able to look up to heaven I'm beating my chest and I'm I'm seeking truly the mercy of God and Christ said that this tax collector is the one who walked away justified in the eyes of God and not the Pharisee so sometimes we fall into this um, wrong uh, idea that that we are righteous we always turn to Christ and we always see that no matter how much I accomplish, no matter how far I go, I am always a sinner and I am seeking God's mercy. The eighth pitfall um, that we make in our spiritual life is neglecting the eternal, internal life. Okay, what is the internal life? A person maybe advances very far in the church um, based on their service, based on their reputation. A person who is a Sunday school servant um, maybe prepares lessons, serves people, has a good reputation with all of the kids and all of the parents and in the church, maybe someone who is elected to the board, maybe someone who has various other church activities or helps to establish churches, and maybe someone who is so busy with the service of the church can be doing so while neglecting their personal spiritual life. All of their effort is directed toward what is it that I can do in the external world, but the internal life is not, as, um, is not as active. When the Lord said that when we pray, we should go into the inner room and we should close the door, and in there we speak to our Father. We speak to Him in, 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 a, in a private, personal conversation. Yes, we have, of course, the public work of prayer, which is the liturgy, which is when we come to the church. But this is only one time in the week. Uh, what about all of the other days? What about all of the other things? So, so not just having an external act of prayer, not just having external works of service, but truly the relationship that we have with God. And the relationship that we have with God is not simply obeying His commandments. The relationship we have with God is to be with Him, to desire His presence, to have a conversation with Him. Think about such uh, a, an analogy. Imagine if you have a father who has a, a, a son or a daughter, and this son or daughter respects the father and respects all of his commandments. So he tells uh, his son or his daughter, um, this is the things I would like you to do and these are the things I don't want you to do. And so this son or daughter, having grown and is an adult and living outside of the house, they are respectful of the commandments of the father and they make sure that they don't do the things he doesn't want and they do the things that he wants. But what is it that they don't do? They never call the father they never visit the Father, they never communicate with Him, they just know what He desires. So they do what He desires, but other than that, they have no relationship with Him. This is the, this is the example of a person who tries to live the moral Christian life, but has no spiritual life, has no prayer life, has no real communication with God, but simply tries to follow and obey the commandments. This is a person neglecting the internal life. They are focusing only on the external things. Is it good that a person follows the Ten Commandments? Of course, we should follow the, the, the moral example of Christ and all of those things. But that is not sufficient. There are people who are not even Christians. They can live according to the moral Christian life. There are people who are not Christians who um, do not curse, who do not lie, who do not steal, who serve other people. They're not even Christians at all. 
What separates the person who is a Christian from non-Christian? It is the relationship with Christ. It is the internal work of the Holy Spirit. This internal uh, spiritual life, this work of the Spirit, this communication with God, this is what um, separates us from, from anyone else. In Acts 6.3, it says, Therefore, brethren, this is um, speaking about how the, the people chose um, the deacons who are going to serve the widows in the distribution of food. Okay, so there was a like a like a quarrel that happened in the church uh, about how is it that we are going to distribute the food. And so the apostles did what? It says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What was the criteria that the apostles used to select people to essentially work in the kitchen? This is what they were this is what these, these, these men were going to do. They were going to distribute food. This is not some role of preaching. This is not some role of Bible study. This is not people who are going to go and evangelize and preach the word of God. These are people who were selected so they could distribute the work of food because the apostles did not have the, the, the time to do this. So they appointed these people for this ministry. Okay, But what was the criteria that was used to choose these people? The criteria mentioned here is not like, okay, people who are good with food. All right, the criteria is people who are full of the Holy Spirit because it is the internal life. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever service they do, whatever interaction they have with others, it will be successful and it will be gentle and it will be kind and it will be a spiritual service and a spiritual work. But when we focus only on the external things, on the administration of things, on the tasks that we have to do, and we don't do them with this spiritual uh, life with this spiritual way, then can come conflicts and divisions and pride and, and arguments and all kinds of things because we do not deal with one another um, in this spiritual way. So definitely we cannot neglect the internal life. This is our life with God and every good thing that comes out of us should come from this. It is not the other way. We don't focus on the external. We focus on the internal and from the internal comes the external things that we are called for. The ninth pitfall that maybe we fall into in the spiritual life is um, spiritual dryness. In the book Orthodox Prayer Life by Father Matthew the Poor, he dedicates one or two chapters on this topic of spiritual dryness. What is this? Spiritual dryness is going through a period of my life where I have no desire to pray. I have no desire to serve. I have no desire to follow through with the spiritual disciplines that I have been doing. It's just I feel burnt out. I feel like I have no desire to do any of these things. And if I do it, I do it completely against my will. I do it by forcing myself to do it. I don't feel the joy of it. I don't taste the sweetness of it. It is something hard and difficult um, for me to do. God actually allows us to go through these periods. Maybe while we go through a period like this, we feel like God has abandoned me. I am not filled with the Holy Spirit anymore. Um, something is wrong that needs to be fixed. But actually, God allows us to go through these periods because in these periods, this is where we grow in faith. This is where we grow in discipline. Father Matthew the Poor, he says the following. He says, when the soul enters into the trial of spiritual aridity or dryness for the first time, it becomes extremely dismayed. This is especially true if there was a disciplined devotion to worship in sincerity of heart. 
one begins to be troubled and to wonder why this has happened and to look for the faults that may be the cause. But spiritual aridity is not a sign of any kind of failure in a healthy relationship with God. It is only an important phase that the soul has to undergo, which may be regarded as a kind of pruning to prepare the soul for a more advanced spiritual life, not contingent upon psychological incentives or subjective pleasures. Meaning, when I think of the life of St. Paul, how easy is it for someone to say that they are a Christian and to have faith when they are not under any pressure, when they are not under any persecution, when there is no suffering to be had, but then the moment that suffering, they begin to experience suffering, they turn away and say, no, I can't do this. This is too difficult for me, and they fall away completely, right? St. Paul is an example of someone who lived faithfully even in the midst of the greatest persecutions and the greatest sufferings. So what God is doing is he is granting us um, a test and an opportunity to grow in our faith. Are you able to maintain your faith? Are you able to grow in faith even when you are not receiving that kind of spiritual candy, the spiritual immediate rewards of, of, of feeling consolation in prayer, of feeling, feeling comfort, of feeling heard by God, of that feeling that we have in prayer where we walk out feeling rejuvenated? Well, what if you don't feel any of those things? Will you continue to pray? Will you continue to serve? Are, if, if you are persecuted for your faith, are you going to continue to be faithful? Or at the first sign of some negative emotional experience regarding our faith, are we going to run in the other direction? So spiritual dryness is actually a part of our spiritual growth, as Father Matthew the Poor said. It is something that we should all expect in some phases of our spiritual life. And also know that this does not last forever. There is some period of time maybe that God grants for our training, um, and then it will go away. The last point I want to mention, the tenth point of the pitfall of spiritual life, is exposing oneself to evil. A person who advances to a certain level in their life and, and, and has maybe overcome certain sins and overcome certain temptations and left behind in their past certain bad habits and certain sins might think that now they have graduated to a higher level of spirituality where they can be exposed to different kinds of sins but not be affected by them. Yeah, there is nothing wrong for me to go to certain places, to watch certain movies, to have certain relationships, to, to do certain things that I know have things in them that are bad, but I will not be affected, right? Because I've so advanced. Maybe 10 years ago, yes, this would have been dangerous for me. 10 years ago, I would have been affected. But now I'm not affected because I am strong, right? This is the pitfall of exposing oneself to evil. And here I just put many verses. And then all the number of verses where the scriptures is telling us what? Run away. Flee. Don't, don't be um, t together with those things that are sinful. Like flee sexual immorality. Um, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. But, O man of God, flee these things. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And, what, and, and, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Flee also youthful lusts. All of these themes in the scripture about fleeing, don't allow yourself to be exposed to evil. So it says something about us that the way that the Lord sees us, we are not strong. We are sheep. Sheep who are very easy for us to just fall into a ditch. You know, you don't really hear about experienced sheep. You know, the, the sheep, no matter how experienced they are, they tend to mess things up. They tend not to know where to go. They tend to feel like, okay, unless someone is guiding me, I'm definitely going to go the wrong direction. 
right? You don't see a sheep that's been alive for a long time somehow like this is a wise sheep. It's not very wise. It continues to be kind of foolish and kind of simple and not very intelligent, right? And so this is kind of us. Even when we have experience, even when we have gone through many different things in life, how easy is it for us to fall into a sin? Even a sin that we know is sin, even a sin that maybe we have fallen into hundreds of times before, and yet when presented with the same situation that has caused us to fall before, we just kind of foolishly walk into it, thinking that somehow this time is going to be a different time. I'm not going to respond the same way that I did before. So this is the tenth pitfall in the spiritual life, exposing ourselves to evil, thinking that there is no consequences in doing so. So today we spoke about the five pitfalls. The first one was lukewarmness. The second one, pride, neglecting the internal life, uh, spiritual dryness, and finally exposing oneself to sin. All of these pitfalls, and of course there are many more pitfalls, we have to be aware of. And this was the point of the parable of the sower. When, when the word falls on us, how is it that we respond? Do we respond positively? Of course, we see that many times we start in a positive way. In the, when the seed fell, for instance, among, um, among the thorns, it started to grow initially, but something prevented it from continuing. And that's the idea of these pitfalls. We should not allow these pitfalls that kind of short-circuit our path, that kind of um, redirect us after we had begun on the right path to go to a wrong path. So may God grant us always awareness and alertness and, and strength and prayerfulness so that we can ask him to protect us from these pitfalls and we can continue faithfully um, all the way to the end. And glory be to God forever. Amen.